Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. This is Josh McCown from Capital Hacking, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field with Jim Pfeiffer. This is the most important thing you can listen to today. We're doing things a little bit differently today. We're going to go back to the fundamentals of real estate syndications and explain how syndications work from beginning to end and talk about a lot of the terms and things that some beginner investors might not know and some experienced investors might need as a refresher. So this form of passive investing, as you know, is becoming more and more accessible to the everyday investor. Real estate syndications are no longer reserved for the wealthy, thanks to some bills passed by Congress in recent years. Another thing that makes syndications more accessible is a company called TribeVest. And as you know, they're one of our partners here at Left Field Investors. TribeVest allows you to easily invest with others as a group, which can get you into more deals and get you those minimums through the power of the tribe. So we're really excited to partner with TribeVest to present you with a masterclass all about real estate syndications. It's a total of nine chapters. We've split it up into two podcast episodes. I sat down here with Julian McClurkin of TribeVest to go over all the basics and a little more. Here's part one. Enjoy. Chapter one is passive investing. And Jim, let's just start there. What is passive investing? Traditionally, passive investing is investing that doesn't require much from the investor. Mm -hmm. So you're not doing anything. You're just putting your money somewhere and someone else runs the operation for you. We're here to talk about investing in real estate specifically. So how is that done passively? In real estate, you basically are sending money to the operator and they are doing all the work and the investor has no operational duty. So you send them the money and they do the investment. Now, there's significant work up front that you have to do to prepare the investment, to vet the operator, make sure you're in the right markets and all that. And we'll talk about that later. But the basics are that passive investing in real estate, you basically wire your money and then you have nothing else to do. Got it. When I hear you say the word operator in my mind, I have like the conductor of a train. And is that kind of similar to what an operator actually is? Yeah. And we'll talk about that in, in later chapters, but the operator, the syndicator, the general partner, GP, all of those are the same terms, synonyms for the person who is operating or taking care of your investment property for you while you sit back and just watch the cash roll in. All right. Well, let's talk about some of these investments now. Uh, can you give me some examples of passive investments within the real estate realm? Yeah. So the main thing we're focusing on in this uh, masterclass is private placement offerings. And we'll talk a lot about those. Those are the syndications, private placement offerings. Those are the same thing. But there's a lot of other things in 
real estate that you can do that are passive as well. Private lending to house flippers, mortgage notes, crowdfunding websites, tax liens, all of those are also fairly passive. And then one of the most popular ones is investing in single family rentals. Now that sounds passive, but you end up managing your property manager and it becomes, it's less passive than than you think when you're jumping in on it. What is the most passive real estate investment you could have? And then what would be like on the opposite realm, what's the most active real estate investment you could have? So the most passive are these syndications we're going to talk about. That's where you, you wire someone money and then they operate it. And every month they send you a check. And after five years or so, they send you your capital back, plus hopefully some appreciation. Mailbox money. Mailbox money, mm-hmm. exactly. You don't have to do anything. The most active would be the opposite of that, where you're maybe a house flipper. So you have to go find the property, buy it, fix it up, or you're buying a property and rent to somebody else. And so you're dealing with you know, the termites, tenants, and toilets is what people try to <laughs> avoid, right? But that's kind of what the um, management process is. So a lot of people have growth from, most people in real estate, they start at the house flipping, or I want to buy a rental property, and they start with the active stuff. And then as they grow and learn, they find passive. And so it's kind of like a migration. And what we try to do at Left Field Investors, and TribeVest helps a lot with this, is maybe skip that active part and just go to passive, right? Do your job, do your W-2 job, whatever you do. And then on the side, you can do some passive income investing, which helps you build your wealth. You know, the the real estate market, uh, especially right now, a lot of people are predicting that we might have a correction coming. And, um, you know, because of that, they're sensing some volatility within it. But there's volatility in stock market as well, in the stock market as well. Let's talk about a little bit why it would be better. I know you mentioned index funds. Why would it be better to invest in real estate rather than like index funds, which have a constant rise over time? That's a great question. And, you know, index funds are, they're set it and forget it money, mm-hmm. right? But what you're doing when you buy a stock or you buy a mutual fund is you're buying something and betting that someone's going to pay you more for that asset, that paper asset later, mm-hmm. right? You're not getting very many dividends. You're not getting very much cash flow. You're hoping someone pays you more for something later. So in real estate, there might be fluctuations in the market price, but I don't care because I'm getting cash flow and that's what I'm investing for. And the pre- appreciation is just on the back end and that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. Another thing with real estate is you can force appreciation meaning you can make improvements either if you're active yourself or if you're in a syndication, the syndication operator will make improvements to the property that will increase the value of that property regardless of what the market is doing. If you're in index funds, you're coasting with the market. Yeah. If you're in real estate, you can create your own, the own, your own value in that asset and you're always receiving income oh, yeah. as you go. That makes sense. That makes sense because um, people will look at, you know, investing in stocks and in, in index funds and saying, you know, an index fund is like, can you explain what an index fund is where it's spread over multiple companies? An index fund is where you pick an index. It could be the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest companies in the U.S. or it could be foreign stocks. And you basically invest in every one of those stocks mm-hmm. through a fund so that you're basically getting the returns of the market. Mm -hmm. But now it's looking like perhaps if everyone's investing in index funds, then you lose some of that advantage. And the the reason people are so much into index funds now is because you don't have to pay someone to actively manage the fund, Mm -hmm. right? So the expenses are much lower, so your returns are much higher. So it's similar in that they're both passive, what we do, the syndications and index funds, but that's really where it stops. And you'll see as we talk about all the advantages of real estate, 
that it's really a, a better way to go than the index funds. Right. Right. I know. I agree because there's so many different ways that, you know, your investment, you can force appreciation on your investment. You can't force appreciation on an index fund. It is what it is. Right. The price is what it is and it's, it's going where it's going. So. So the index fund reduces risk because it kind of spreads your investment around. But with real estate, aren't you a little bit overexposed because all your investment goes into this one thing? Yeah, that, that's a good point. So if I had $25,000 to invest in an index fund, it would be spread out over 100, 500 companies, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm investing in real estate syndication, usually the minimums are $25,000. So I'm in just one deal. But there are a lot of ways to spread the risk. You can invest in multiple deals with multiple sponsors. So you're with different operators. You're in different markets. So maybe you have one property in Phoenix and one in Dallas, different asset classes. So maybe you do multifamily apartments and then you also do self-storage. And then you can use uh, a company or a platform like TribeVest to reduce the minimums, mm-hmm. right? The minimum is $25,000. But if you go in with four of your friends, now you can get into these deals for $5,000. And so if you have $25,000 to invest through TribeVest, now you're in five different deals Maybe you're in three different markets, two different asset classes, and that's how you get diversification and you decrease the risk of the investment. That's awesome. It's like you created your own stock market. (laughs) It's exactly right. And that's what you try to do is you try to balance it out with different investments, different places, and you're creating your own real estate syndication index. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. You know, uh, investing in real estate seems like uh, it's, it's more difficult than just putting your money into these index funds. Just uh, in summary of this chapter, what would you say to somebody who's looking to invest some money and they, they're trying to make the decision between real estate and the stock market? Well, as with a lot of things, it's, it is complicated until you know and understand it and learn it a little bit. And the purpose of this webinar and the purpose of left field investors is to educate people on alternative investments. I don't like that word because alternative means basically just not Wall Street stuff, yeah. right? But it's not alternative. It's the house you live. It's where you store your stuff at the self-storage facility. I mean, they're not, they're real assets. But there's, there's a bunch of benefits to real estate investing that you don't get from the stock market. And you'll learn about those throughout this webinar. But some of them are, there's significant tax advantages. You can use leverage to increase your returns. It's comparatively stable markets. You know, your, your asset values aren't going up and down as much. You have protection from inflation and consistent cash flow. And then the appreciation, that's just the bonus. All the other stuff is, is the best part. And then appreciation is like, you don't need it, but you love it when you get it. Mm-hmm. Well, stay tuned for the next episode. We mentioned a lot about syndication. We're going to be harping on that a little bit on the next one. Welcome back to the masterclass. We're now on to chapter two, syndications. Jim, what is a syndication? A syndication is basically just a pooling of capital to be able to go buy one, typically one, but maybe more properties. So it's typically a property that someone might not be able to purchase on their own. A good example is, let's say you want to buy a $20 million apartment building. Well, most people don't have $20 million sitting in the bank that they can go buy this apartment building with, but you think, okay, I'll go to the bank and get a loan for 75%. So there's 15 million you're going to get from the bank. You still need another 5 million. Again, Most people don't have $5 million sitting in their pocket to go buy these properties. So what they do is the syndicator, the operator, we'll talk about that more later. They get maybe, let's say, 100 people to each put in $50,000. And now you have your $5 million for the down payment. And that's the syndication is the operation of running that apartment building now that you've bought it. Yeah, but 100 people, that seems like a lot of people 
to get on the same page about an investment? Um, how do you get that many people on the same page? Um, that's a good question because what you do is they create an LLC, a limited liability company. That's just a, a way of owning something. And there's in an LLC, you can have general partners and limited partners. So the general partners are the operators, the syndicators, the people that are running and managing the deal. The limited partners are you and me. We're the investors. We're the ones giving them $50,000. We don't have any responsibilities after we give them that money. Now, when they operate, they have to do everything. They have to find the deal. They have to negotiate the deal. They have to sign all the documents and make sure that, you know, they get all the funding from us, the LPs, limited partners, Mm -hmm. and also the bank. So they have to do all of that. And then once they've closed the deal, they have to operate it. They have to communicate with the LPs. They have to send out um, reports to the LPs. Hopefully they send distributions of cash to the LPs and then they operate it. So they deal with what we talked about earlier, the tenants, termites, and toilets, right? They have to repair things and they manage the property. Another thing about syndications is it used to be really just reserved for the wealthy, Mm -hmm. but Congress uh, passed the 2012 Jobs Act. Mm -hmm. There's a regulation in there called Regulation D. You don't need to jump into the weeds and read that at all. But it talks about 506B syndications and 506C syndications. And that's usually what we're dealing with. What is the difference between the 506B, C, D, and F? (laughs) I can't talk about D, E, and F. Or yeah, just 506B and 506C. So there's two parts to each of those. One is what kind of investors they can allow into the deal. Mm -hmm. And the other is, are they allowed to advertise or not? And so the type of investors are talking about whether you're accredited or non-accredited. And accredited, they just broadened it, but accredited basically means you either have a million dollars in assets outside of your home, mm-hmm. or you earn over the last couple of years, $200,000 or more if you're filing single or $300,000 filing jointly. Now there's also a couple little caveats. If you pass a few uh, securities tests, you can also become an accredited investor. And all that means is the accredited investor can has access to a lot more deals. Mm-hmm. Now, I found through using TribeVest, one of my tribes, we had a bunch of non-accredited investors. And that really got me out there looking for non-accredited deals. And they're out there. And they're just as good as the others. And I invest in, in both. Uh, so there's not a, there, the only disadvantage to being non-accredited is you have a little bit less choice. Understood. In the housing market, you know, I'm an agent. When I am submitting offers, it seems that other agents rank different types of financing that comes through. You have the best, which is cash. Then you have conventional. Then you have FHA. You know, then you have VA and USDA. It sounds like when you're going to purchase deals, it's better to be an accredited investor rather than a non-accredited. But or is it is it non-accredited? Yep. Yeah. But Using platforms like TribeVest, like you said, you can become a cre- an accredited investor by using your whole team, or is it just a group of non-accredited investors now have access to something that normally only an accredited investor would have access to? Yeah, the, the way that TribeVest helps is not really with the accreditation, because if you're not a, if one person in your group is non-accredited, then your whole group is non-accredited. If they're on the LLC, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. But what TribeVest allows you to do is. Like I have a group I'll talk about later that we contribute a hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So it's real small stakes, but you can get into these syndications. And so all these people in this group with me are non-accredited. Mm-hmm. So the investment opportunities out there, I didn't think were equal to what an accredited person could invest in. And right. in fact, they're not, but there are plenty of syndicators 
who target the non-accredited groups and will let you in their deals. So it's not as big of a disadvantage as I original, originally thought. This used to be for the wealthy mm -hmm. and the wealthy still have some advantages, but the regular person can get in it too. Got it. Got it. Okay. So let's assume that I have $50,000 to put into a syndication. Why not just go off and buy a single family home on my own? A lot of people do start in active investing, doing wholesaling or buying single family homes, as we talked about in the last chapter. But the reason why you might want to put it into a syndication is because it's passive. You don't have to do anything. After you've decided on the investment, decided on the sponsor, all that stuff that we're going to talk about, then you turn over the operational duties to somebody else, somebody professionally who is trained to do this and only this runs your real estate operation for you, mm -hmm. right? I was investing in actively in my own stuff. And I thought, why don't I just have a professional do it? Because I have my regular job and now I'm trying to manage a single family home on the side. It's much more effective to have somebody else do it professionally. And the returns, honestly, are not that much less than I was getting on the active stuff. Mm -hmm. So how are the profit return splits different between the general partners and the limited partners? So the general partners, sometimes they don't even put any money into the deal. They, a lot of them, you like to have them invest as LPs and BGPs at the same time. So general partner, limited partner. So they invest some of their money as limited partners. Mm -hmm. But the general partner, they're doing all the work. So, but we're providing all the money. Mm -hmm. So you have to split up the proceeds, right? So typically what they do is they, they usually, a lot of syndications offer a preferred return. Preferred return is also called a PREF. And what that is basically, it's usually between six and 10%. And they say, okay, I'm gonna pay you every month 7% out of cash flow from the how the prop based on how the property is doing. Mm -hmm. So if one quarter they only pay you 4%, they have to make up the rest. And so at the end, when they're selling the property, that's when they make up, if they haven't paid that 7% consistently, mm -hmm. the first thing they'll do is they'll make up that 7% and make us make the LPs whole mm -hmm. right on our cash flows. Then they'll return all of the capital. So that's your initial $50,000 investment or whatever it is. And then everything else is split based on a predetermined amount. Usually it's 80-20, 70-30, 60-40 with the bulk of it going to the um, LPs. And that, that is all taken care of on the back end, if that mm. makes sense. No, it does. So they're guaranteed a certain amount. There's no front. guarantees. Okay. And, and if you ever, this is a great question. Mm. If you ever get an operator offering you a guarantee, you say, thank you, no thank you, and you exit. Because they can't <laughs> guarantee anything. That's, yeah. I don't know if it's against the law necessarily, but they should not be guaranteeing returns. What a preferred return is, it means that you get paid, the LP gets paid before the uh, GP gets anything. Mm -hmm. So if the deal goes south and, no, and, and there's only 5% returns on this, mm -hmm. the GP gets nothing. So that it's basically, they're paid for their performance, but to get you to invest, they want to say, hey, I'm going to make sure you get 7% as we go through the, the investment. Now it's not guaranteed, it might not get 7%, but when they sell the asset, that's when they backfill, pay you for all the anything that they had missed. So in a syndication, who typically gets more, a limited partner or a general partner? Well, the limited partner will get more cash, mm -hmm. but they also put in more, more cash where the GP didn't put anything in. They put it in on the LP side, but they're not putting anything in other than their sweat equity, equity right? Mm -hmm. So they're not putting anything in. The other thing to look for is the transaction and operational fees. So the GP also gets paid for that. There's um, acquisition fees, perhaps disposition fees. So they might get 1% of the total value of the property when they buy it. And that's just so they can do all their due diligence and, and cover all of their expenses. And then there could be other 
fees. There's an asset management fee usually of two to three percent for that's paid annually because they're managing that asset. And so there's other fees that you have to look for when you're investing. But the typical ones are acquisition, which is when you buy it, mm-hmm. disposition when you sell it, and then the ongoing is the asset management fee. There's fees for each each of those levels. Is what you're saying? Acquisitions fee, dis- dispositions fee, and then management fee. Management asset management fee. That's the one that's recurring. Mm-hmm. The others are typically one-time fees. You buy it, you pay them one per. They get one percent of the total purchase price, and that's for all the work that they're doing up front. And then they get same percent, usually a one percent on the back end, because they're not they're not getting the cash flow as you go. And that's what that's what they need the asset management fee because they manage the whole property. They manage the. They usually hire a property manager, so that's a separate fee. But that's that's not paid to the general partners. Mm-hmm. The general partners get an asset management fee. Okay, so if I want to invest in this syndication, which I kind of do with this fifty thousand dollars, what's the process? <laughs> well, for the LP, all the active stuff is up front. You have to do your due diligence, and we'll talk about all of this coming up in later chapters. But you need to vet the sponsor, decide on a market, pick the asset class, and then vet the deal. Right. So there's a lot of upfront stuff. After that, you're not really doing anything. But left field investors, the, the community that I'm part of, there's tools that we have will help you along the way. So one of the most important parts is vetting the sponsor, which we'll go into detail later. But left field investors has a sponsor screener tool that helps you, helps the new investor come up with the questions to ask when you're talking to the sponsor for the first time. Mm. And so that's part of it. You have to screen the sponsor. Then you have to pick the market, like I said, screen the deal. And for the deal, we also at Left Field Investors, we have a deal analyzer, which basically we'll talk about a little bit later. Take some metrics, you put those metrics in and you make sure the deal kind of checks all the boxes. Mm-hmm. We don't want to re-underwrite the deal. That's what the sponsor should be doing for us. But we do want to make check and make sure that it hits all the right numbers that we're looking at. After you analyze the deal, then you're going to get a bunch of documents from the sponsor, the GP. What are these documents? Yeah, so you get the private placement memorandum. They call it the PPM. It's 100... 200 pages with all the things that can go wrong. It's all for the lawyers. The lawyers write it, the lawyers read it. Yeah. I recommend when you get into a deal with a new sponsor, you read it, you look at it, and you know, you're not going to read every word. It's a lot. Nope. But there's ways, and, and we talk about that. Part of the community aspect of this is people know, hey, look for this, look for that in the PPM. And, and that's one of the things you need to do. There's also an operating agreement for the LLC because each property that you buy is going to have its own LLC. So you want to check out the operating agreement. Then there's subscription agreements that you have to sign. And that's where the operator is getting information about you. How are you investing as an individual or as an LLC? They need your social security number and some other, your address, your phone, all the private information. After that, you send the wire and then you just wait for the cash to roll in. After you've invested, you've sent your wire, money's coming in, then you'll get monthly or quarterly distribution checks and reports. So you need to read those and you'll find out how your property's doing. And then around March 15th, tax time, you'll get a K-1. And that's a specific document that lays out how the taxes are paid. And we'll talk about that later. But you have to be on the lookout for the K-1. And the next thing you do is you wait around for the next year, and eventually the deal sells, and then you collect your capital and the appreciation. Nice. That concludes Chapter 2. We're going to move on to Chapter 3. Welcome back to the masterclass. It's time for chapter three with passive syndications, pros and cons. So, so far, syndications sound pretty cool, but I'm sure there's some downsides. What are some of those? Yeah, so I think the major downside to syndications is you're giving up control 
and li- and there's they're very illiquid, mm-hmm. right? So when you buy into one of these deals, it's going to be three years at a minimum, probably, and could be five or 10 years before you can get your capital back. So you don't have a lot of liquidity. There's no secondary market to sell these. So that, that can be a downside. What is liquidity? Liquidity is having cash, right? Cash is liquid, mm-hmm. but if you go buy a house, it's not liquid because if you need money, you got to sell the house and that takes time. Okay, so, so liquidity access to your cash. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's a great way to put it. So you lose liquidity with these, which mm-hmm. is a definite downside. You also don't have control over the asset. But I would say if you're investing in the stock market, you also don't have control, but you do have liquidity. And that, you know, not to turn all of the downsides into upsides, but not having liquidity sometimes can be a good thing. Last year when we had the pandemic and the stock market dropped 30%, if you sold at the low and stayed out, the liquidity hurt you, right? Mm-hmm. But in the real estate market, I wasn't selling. I just held because I had to. Mm-hmm. And the, everything came back. And so you don't, you don't end up having the panic selling as much. So that it is a downside to have that illiquidity and you need to know that going in before you invest in one, but it can also save you. So you should not never invest in a syndication money that you think you're going to need in the next five years. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's good not to have access to too much money because the more access you have to it, the more you'll spend. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly right. Is that the only downside, the liquidity? Another downside is the minimums, right? The minimum investment is is $25,000 or could be up to $100,000. So to get into, we talked about, and we'll talk more about diversifying. You know, if you can only, if you need $25,000 to get into a deal, how many deals can the regular person get into in a year? So that's a real challenge. And that's where TribeVest has a great solution, right? TribeVest, as we talked about before, allows groups to pool their money together. So you can get into, if you have $25,000 to invest, you could get it. If you have a group of five, now you can get into five deals instead of just one. Mm-hmm. So again, it is a downside that the, the investment uh, minimums are so high, but you can get around that by group investing. So we talked a little bit about K-1s. Those are a tax document that, so the L, this is getting in the weeds a little bit, but I think it's important. The LLC does not pay taxes. It's a pass-through entity. So it passes through its tax burden to all of the LPs, all of the owners. Mm-hmm. And they do that through a K-1. And the K-1 is the document you get. It's like a 1099 mm-hmm. that people get for their stock market. But the K-1 will list losses, gains. It just lists a bunch of stuff that your accountant will look at and put in a bucket. And then that tax comes directly to you. So the problem is those aren't filed usually until March 15th, March 31st, something like that. So if you're going to file your taxes on time on April 15th, you have to know that your K-1s are coming in on time so you can do your own tax return. So every investment you do in a syndication is going to send you a different K-1. Mm-hmm. So now you are adding up some accounting costs. If you have an accountant, every K-1 they're going to charge you for. And it is a little bit, it complicates things. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'll take that complication and that little extra you know, work that my accountant might have to do for the benefits of syndication investing, which we've talked about. So a couple other minor downsides or obstacles maybe is you have to, to do the deal, you're going to have to wire $25,000, $50,000, $100,000 to someone you probably haven't met. Mm-hmm. You've had a few conversations with them. So you really need to vet the sponsor and become comfortable enough to be able to send that money out. Another thing is the PPM we talked about, right? Private placement memorandum. Could be 100 pages, 200 pages. Dealing with those documents is frustrating. It's time consuming to dig through them. So it's just an added layer of, of friction, right? But all of those things, I think, uh, you, you get around when you when you start getting to the upsides, which hopefully we'll talk about next. Yeah, I w- definitely want to get into the upsides. And I'm hoping there are some after all those downsides. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. One of the biggest upsides is the tax. 
right? If, if you're investing or anytime you're making money, the biggest, not risk factor, but the biggest factor working against you is taxes. And you can reduce, defer, even eliminate almost all of the tax when you invest in real estate because the tax code is written to um, benefit part of it is written to benefit real estate investors, mm -hmm. right? So there's depreciation, which means the useful life of something is less and less as it gets older. So you can use that depreciation to offset almost all of your passive gains. So if you're doing it right, when you're investing in a syndication, you will not pay tax on any of the cash flows you receive. It will be deferred probably, and you have to recapture later. Um, and we'll talk about that, but it's your, your tax bill is going to go way down the more syndications you invest in. But your, your accountant needs to know about all of the benefits. Yes, it's very important that you have a, an accountant that understands real estate mm -hmm. and preferably someone who invests in real estate themselves because there's depreciation and there's a different, there's a, there's something called bonus depreciation, mm -hmm. which means instead of depreciating part of the building every year, you can depreciate it all up front. So companies do what's called a cost segregation. Again, fancy term, you get engineers in the building and they run their numbers and they figure out what can depreciate when. So if you can get, let's say you invest $50,000 in a syndication. I've had syndications come back with a, the K-1, which says what the taxes are, that I have a $55,000 loss in the first year. Mm -hmm. So I've already received some income from this property. But for tax purposes, I have a $55,000 loss. I can use that to offset income from that syndication. Also, I can use that to offset income from any real estate transaction that I have. So if you keep this bucket of losses, anytime you win, you just eat away at it. Mm -hmm. And then there is depreciation recapture at the end. And this is where when you sell the building, remember all that bonus depreciation I talked about that you took as a loss? Mm -hmm. Now you have to recapture it. And so that's where you would be taxed. However, you just made some money, right? Because you sold the investment. Now, if you take that same money and go invest it in a new deal. 1031 exchange. Not a 1031 exchange. My accountant calls it a lazy 1031. <laughs> so a 1031 exchange is where you can defer tax by buying a, a similar property, mm -hmm. right? The lazy 1031 is instead of buying a similar property, you just buy another syndication you get another round of bonus depreciation to offset the recapture you just had. I know this is getting complicated, but basically somebody in my network calls it the golden hamster wheel, mm -hmm. right? You get on this thing, you have this depreciation. When you sell, you recapture it, but then you go buy a new asset and you get the bonus depreciation again that cancels out that recapture and mm -hmm. you just keep going. It kind of it sounds like the Burr method of Tax. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good way of looking at it. It's. It's like yeah. you know, if, as long as you keep going, it's a rinse and repeat. Right. You, you can. You can defer most of your tax, and so mm -hmm. you you'll make this money, and you won't be taxed on it. Mm -hmm. And so, even if you're getting a better return in the stock market, which personally I don't think you do, you have to pay tax on. There's no way to defer that tax. Mm -hmm. This tax you can push off, and the longer you push off the tax the better it is for you in your financial situation. Oh man, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. You got to pay taxes immediately with gains in the stock market. Like there is no rollover or 1031 exchange for stock or, or a lazy 1031 with right. stock market gains. Exactly. That's so right. true. And taxes are the biggest obstacle to creating wealth mm -hmm. and real estate removes that obstacle. Mm -hmm. Well, this is sounding great so far. What are the other benefits? So we talked about it a little bit already, but diversification, right? I think that's a great benefit 
that, that people don't think of when you're thinking of real estate because they think, oh, I just can, I can only afford this one property. But again, if you use things like TribeVest or a way to get into multiple uh, syndications, then you do have that um, diversification. And the group investing is another advantage. You can't really group invest in the stock market, Mm-mm. right? But group investing, what it does, it not only reduces the minimums, but also gives you confidence, right? When I found out somebody else in my network was investing in the same deal as I was, I thought, oh, man, this is a smart guy. So now I have somebody else who's doing the same thing. And that community of group investing uh, really just kind of solidifies a lot of what you're doing because you understand other people are doing it too. Mm-hmm. Are there any other benefits? Yeah, there's a bunch and we're not going to go through them all. But another one is the management of the asset, right? You don't have to manage it. You you do a lot of upfront work and then you give your money to somebody else and they manage the asset and just return money to you. So I think that's a that's a great um, advantage. There's also different investing strategies, just like in the stock market. If you want to buy foreign index funds, and U.S. funds, there's all kinds of different options. And it's the same way. There's a bunch of different asset classes. And if you really want to get into it, you can invest uh, overseas as well. So there's a lot of ways to diversify and distribute your, your investments. Um, a couple other things I'd like to, to mention is one is community. Again, either through TribeVest, Leftfield Investors, or whatever community you're in, just working with other people and, and, and creating a group so you can talk and understand. And that's how much you, you just accelerate your learning process. And you can get into so many different things. There's also one thing that I really like, one of the biggest advantages other than tax advantages, it's velocity of money. What do you mean by velocity of money? So you you don't want your money just sitting still, right? So you want to keep it moving Mm -hmm. into multiple assets. So an example, let's say you invest your $25,000 in a real estate syndication and that syndicator goes and they try to force the equity Mm -hmm. to grow, right? So they force appreciation and they do that by rehabbing the apartments. They might do dog fences around um, lower level apartments and charge an extra 50 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when you charge an extra 50 bucks a month rent, it seems like a small thing. Or when you spend $5,000 rehabbing an apartment and you only raise the rent 100 bucks, I mean, do the math. It takes forever to pay that off. But you're thinking of it wrong. What that does is that $100 increase in rent is $1,200 a year. And if you do that on 100 apartments, now you've increased the income of that property which then increases the value of the property, mm-hmm. right? So you do a little thing that increases the value because you're using leverage multiple times. So what ends up happening, the velocity of money is you do all these improvements or the operator does, right? You're an LP, so you just sit back, you're not doing anything, but the GP does, they improve the property. Then they go to the bank and they say, hey, you know that building that was worth $20 million? It's now worth $30 million. I'd like a new loan. And the bank says, okay. And they give you the loan, right? Now, what does the, the operator do with all that cash? They send it back to you. So now let's say they did it so you're 25 grand invested. In two years, they give you your $25,000 back. Mm-hmm. You still own that asset. You're still getting cash flow from that asset, but you have your capital back and you go put it in a new deal. Wow. Now you have $25,000 that you invested. Now you own two cash flowing properties and it just snowballs. So velocity of money is putting your money into action and not letting it just sit there but as soon as you get the, the uh, initial investment back, you go do another one, and now you have two sets of returns. Man, that would be a dream investment to invest $25,000 and then get it back in a couple of years and continue to get a paycheck from that initial investment. That would be amazing. I'd give you 50 the next time. All right, give it to me. Oh. <laughs> Welcome back to the Masterclass. Chapter four, we're going to be talking about how to pick a sponsor. 
All right, so we've mentioned picking a sponsor, uh, but how do you find somebody that you like, know, and trust? This is the most important part of syndication investing. So if you've skipped all the other chapters, you're in the right spot picking this one to start with because this, this is critical because you can have a, a great investment run by a bad sponsor and it's going to be horrible. Or you can have a bad investment run by a great sponsor and they can maybe save it, right? So you need to make sure that you're getting a good sponsor. And there's a lot of ways to vet the sponsor, but it's complicated because you're only going to get to talk to them for a half hour for a couple of calls. You know, maybe you can go visit them, but that's not practical for every deal. So picking the sponsor is critical. And one of the best ways is to use your network. I know I keep talking about community, mm -hmm. but that's really, really where it's at. So if you have a community like Left Field Investors or Tribe Best, talk to the people in that community. Hey, have you ever heard of this syndicator? And that's what we do in our community. We have a list of syndicators that we haven't screened them, but we've talked to them all. And so they're trusted. That, yeah. And, and that gives everybody a little bit of a head start. Um, ask people, refer me to your, your, your favorite sponsor. Left Field Investors website has a long list of sponsors that we've talked to and that we understand that we think, you know, I'm, we, we don't endorse them necessarily, but mm -hmm. that, that's how, and if it's not Left Field Investors, go to another community and find, find sponsors that, that they like. So you need to find some sponsors, get some background info, and then dig deep and do some research on them. Yeah. Google is your friend on this one, it sounds like. Exactly right. But what kind of information should I be looking for with these sponsors? So one of the biggest ones is experience. How long have they been doing this? Because right now, I mean, the last, what, 10 years, the real estate market has been great. Yeah. Right? It's, hard, it's hard to lose money. So what you want is an experienced operator. If you can find someone who's been doing it for 15 or 20 years, and they've been through some of the bad markets, that's great. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the syndicator. It could be a new syndicator that has a real estate person who's had that track record. So mm. track record is important. If you could find a sponsor who's had exited deals, Right, because these deals take three, five, ten years before they go full cycle, and full cycle means purchase, operate, sell. So you want to see how many deals have they exited. So do they have experience that they can sell and and do the deals they did when they sold them? Did they match up with their predictions? You know, five years before when mm -hmm. they when they bought it. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. Is you're looking for experience. You're looking for people who have exits. Those are some of the things to look for. So you can kind of see their stat sheet. You can see what their shooting percentage is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The other thing, you know, compared to basketball, right? Scouting. Mm -hmm. You go, you you read their website, mm -hmm. find out what they're saying. You listen to their podcast. You like you would watch someone play, right? If they're saying all this stuff in their podcast, then you got to see, all right, are they checking it? Are they doing it? Yeah. And part of the thing now with podcasting is there are some really, really good syndication marketers mm. out there. Now, are they really good syndication operators? I don't know. Some of them are better marketers than they are operators. Mm. And so part of the challenge is you have to figure out which one are they? Are they a marketer? Are they operator? Or are they both? Because mm. that, that could be the case too. And that's where referrals and research helps you out. All right. So what happens during a typical call when you're on the phone with one of these sponsors? So yeah, they have to screen you just like you're screening them. Right. The regulation D that we talked about has a bunch of rules for they have to know and have an existing relationship with you, depending on how they structured their deal. Right. It might, might be that they can advertise. It might be that they can't. So almost every time you want to invest in a deal, you'll have to call and talk to the sponsor. Mm -hmm. Might be 30 minutes, might be an hour. And so what they're going to do is they're going to ask you questions. They're going to want to find out if you're accredited. They want to know if you've done deals before. They're trying to kind of scope you out to see if you're, you're worth their time. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then they're going to talk about 
themselves, their operation, what typical deals they do. And, and they just kind of give you an overview because they're kind of selling to you, right? So what we do at Left Field Investors is we came up with a thing we call the sponsor screener. Because the first time you call, and I've dealt with a lot of first-time investors, and they say, what am I supposed to say? I don't know what to say. And the syndicator, the operator kind of runs it. But if you have a list, we have a list of questions that you ask. So you just listen, take notes. And then if they don't ask some of the questions on, or if they don't answer some of the questions on the list, then you just ask them those questions and they'll, you know, they'll give you their answers. And then you kind of take that in and evaluate it. The other thing is you're not just listening for facts. You're listening for feelings. Mm -hmm. I know this is really hard, but if you have a gut feeling like, oh, I just don't know, they seem kind of shifty they I'm not sure about them. Listen to that. Yeah. Right. Do not invest if you, because the only, I've been in a couple of bad deals. And I probably should have been able to figure it out just from the first call. Don't get so excited about investing in the deal that you overlook the sponsor. There are plenty of sponsors. If you get a bad feeling about one, even if other people have said they're great, move on to the next one. I hope you enjoyed part one of our masterclass. In our next episode, we'll release part two. And if you have any questions about TriBest investing together with family and friends, you know, I recommend you go to TriBest.com. And if you go to TriBest.com slash partners slash LF, you'll get $50 deposited in your new TriBest business bank account if you sign up through that URL. So we'll see you next time for part two of our syndication masterclass. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.